One of my favorite stories, years ago, we did an interview for Mother's Day with a couple of moms. My wife was one of them. This was way, way back um, when our kids were still little. She still had the, the maroon minivan, you know, the, the uh, uh, Dodge minivan. And she would, uh, she would take a spoon, a plastic spoon that was long enough she could reach Caleb in the back and smack him whenever he got sassy. It was awesome. She just smacking kids. And sometimes she would just be hitting and she just figured she would hit the right one eventually. Uh, and you wouldn't, you wouldn't know that if you just looked at my wife and, and you weren't around her very much. But we were interviewing. And we said, uh, have you ever lost it with your kids? And, and Janie said, yes, there was one of those days. And I don't even remember what all happened. And she said all the kids were just going at it. And finally she goes, shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up. And my kids went, you know, they were little bitty. And, and uh, I was like, that's awesome. Um, <laughs> Because have any of y'all, maybe you didn't say those words, but have you ever lost it with your kids, moms? All right, all right, yeah. Well, today we're going to talk about, the reason I, I did this, and we're going to talk about the difference in being overwhelmed and overflowing, all right? There's two radically different mindsets that you can approach life, and the first one is what we're going to call the shortage mindset. The shortage mindset says, I never have enough and I never will. Shortage mindset. I don't have enough time. I don't have enough money, education, friends, whatever it is, I do not have enough. One of my coaches years ago used to say, Washburn, you're a day late and a dollar short. And I wasn't sure what that meant then, but now I get it, right? You ever feel like that? You're late on the bills, you're dollar short. Okay, if you, I, I said the first service, you got to be over 50 to catch some of my jokes nowadays. So I, I'm getting older. Um, the Bible has some words for this, and it's called lacking. If you're lacking something, if you're wanting something, if you need something. Now, in the Old Testament, there was a prophet named Elisha, and he was one of the, the greatest prophets as far as the miracles that he did. And he was having a, a, a discussion with his servant who was named Gehazi, and they were talking about this idea of, of having enough or not having enough, the shortage mindset. And it says this in 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 42. One day, a man from Baal Shalashah brought the man of God a sack of fresh grain and 20 loaves of barley bread made from the first grain of his harvest. Now, when it says loaves of bread, it's not talking about the giant Texas giant loaf or whatever you get at Walmart. It's not what we're talking about. Basically, we were talking about a pita bread. And pita bread is really just, you know, a tortilla on steroids, right? This was, what we're talking about here was the, the food of the poor. This poor man in the middle of a famine had made 20 um, pita bread cakes or bread, uh, loaves of bread, and he brought them because he wanted to be a faithful man even in the times of, of famine and brought it to the man of God. And look what the man of God, Elisha, says. Elisha says, Give it to the people so they can eat. He tells his servant Gehazi, give it to the people. Look what Gehazi says. What? His servant explained, exclaimed, feed a hundred people with this. What kind of mindset did Gehazi have? He had the shortage mindset. How can I possibly give 20 pita bread loaves to a hundred people? Because in those days, you might get one meal out of it if you were a poor person. If you were really poor, you might split it in half and get two. He says, how can I possibly lay this in front of the people of God? Look what Elisha says. But Elisha repeated, give it to the people so that they can eat, for this is what the Lord says. Here is what God told Elisha that he now tells Gehazi. Everyone will eat, there will be, even be some left over. 
And when they gave it to the people, there was plenty for all and some left over, just as who said, just as God said, and the man of God followed. Now, Gehazi was looking at, we don't have enough. And when you focus on that, when you have the shortage mindset, your focus is on your limited resources. How many of you have unlimited resources? We were talking, and it's, yeah, um, we were talking about uh, when I was at Fort Lauderdale for the Praying Pelican Missions um, conference, we were talking to all of these pastors and, and they ask a question, what do you expect of us when you come to our countries? And I said, let me tell you what I shared in Haiti. Years ago, I was, I was um, interviewed and, and one of the guys who interviewed me, he said, in Haiti, the pastors think that all you have to do in America is walk to the back room and pull money off of the trees that grow around your house. They think you just all have money because you're from America. And I explained that we, it takes thousands and thousands of dollars to get there. And if you don't use that money well, then, then we're, we're not going to bring you any more money. Um, when you focus on your limited resources, you're looking at all the things you're lacking instead of the things that you have. I don't have enough money. I don't have enough time. I don't have enough energy. And when you focus on that, you know the result? The result is you are overwhelmed. I have an overwhelmed life. Now, uh, when you think like that, you have an overwhelmed life, you, you think like this, like life is a pie. Now, this is a pumpkin pie, and this might actually be an accurate depiction of what would happen at Thanksgiving at my house. I have two older brothers, 14 and 12 years older than me. They used to sit me, not, not kidding, next to my father at the kitchen table so that my dad could get me food because my brothers during the prayer would stab the food and take it. And so this might be what my brothers would do. They would cut a pie like this, and which pieces do you think my brothers would get? Not the little ones, and little brother was just too bad. It's so great when I got old enough to fight back, and I hit one of my brothers one time, because they used to go around and hit you on the arm. One time I just hit him, and he goes, ow. I said, yeah, I'm ready to play. So this would be what it's like, but when you, when you think of your life as a pie, you think, oh man, if I give too much to this person, then I'm not gonna have enough here. Whatever it is, you worry, and, and what it leads to, several things. It leads to envy, jealousy, resentment, worry, insecurity. If you get a bigger piece of pie than I do, I'm worried about your piece of pie, and I may not have enough. That's the shortage mindset, and God says he doesn't want you to have that. Instead, God wants you to live on the opposite side. He wants you to have the surplus mindset set. Now, I, I, I got to come back and I got to say something. Um, I'm speaking truth today, so you need to get ready for that. Rebecca posted this meme on uh, Facebook, and I thought this was good, so let me read it in case you can't read it. If the pastor preaches anything that hurts your feelings, but it is in line with the Bible, he's not out of line. You are. Get ready. And you, you check it against the Bible. And, and if what I'm telling you today doesn't line up with Scripture, blow it off. But if it lines up with Scripture, don't be sending me your texts and emails and don't be writing mean things on the back of your cards. Occasionally people do that, but I'll just throw it away. Now, God wants you to live on the other side. He wants you to have the surplus mindset, which means God has more than I will ever need. See, God doesn't give you one pie. God is the pie factory. And if you need something else, God can always create it. He can speak the words. The Bible has some words about this, about this mindset, abundance, plentiful, bountiful. God has more than enough to meet your needs and everybody else's needs. Think of it like this. When you walked in today and you sat down, did you worry about the air that the person next to you was breathing? Stop breathing because I'm going to run out of air. No one? You didn't worry about the air when you came in here. Why? There's plenty. Who created air? God, who created air? 
thank you. God also created everything else. And if he made enough air for everybody to have some and more, he can create those other things for you as well. When you focus on God's limitless resources, it changes your life. And the result is an overflowing life. So how many of you moms today feel overwhelmed? Have felt, let's say this, how many of you ever felt overwhelmed, moms? How many of you feel overwhelmed today? What I'm gonna suggest to you is you need to get your focus off of your limited resources and onto God's limitless resources. Now, this is the idea in Psalm 23 when David says this in verse five. My cup overflows. I'm gonna have a cup up here today. My cup overflows. Now, there's another translation I want you to see. It's the International Children's Bible. It's actually written on a third grader's level. And I love what it says. You give me more than I can hold. When I come to you, God, you fill my hands to, I can't even contain it. You're such a good God. The New Century Version says it this way. You fill my cup to what? overflowing. So this is really interesting to me. In verse one, he says, the Lord is my shepherd. You may have read it, the translation or memorized the translation. I shall not want the new century version says I have everything I need. So he says in verse one, you, you, you give me everything I need. But down in verse five, he says, my cup overflows. You give me more than I need. You fill my cup to overflowing. So let's ask, what is the cup? The cup is your life. Now, just, just for, for inquiring minds, if you ever buy me a coffee cup and you want me to use a coffee cup, it needs to have four fingers on the handle. If you get me a cup that has three fingers or two fingers or one, I'm not using that trash, all right? I'll just give it to somebody else. Just, just inquiring minds may want to know, if you want to buy, somebody bought me this cup years ago and it has Joshua 1, 9 on it, it says, be strong and courageous, do not be terrified, do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. I use this mug. Why? Because it has four fingered handle. That means nothing. I'm just going to go on. <laughs> my cup overflows means my life overflows with goodness. I'm not overwhelmed. I'm overflowing. Now, 2000 years after David wrote those words, Jesus is at the temple. And, and I wanted to read you the first part and I'm explain what's going on. This is in John chapter seven, verse 37. On the last and greatest day of the festival, we're talking about here the, feast, the festival of tabernacles, the feast of tabernacles. In the feast of tabernacles, everybody would gather in Jerusalem and they would build a temporary shelter out of branches, out of sticks, and they would live in that, that temporary shelter for a week, for seven days. And what they were symbolizing or, or remembering, memorializing, was when God led the children of Israel out of Egypt and he led them through the wilderness for 40 years. They lived in tents. And if you remember, there was a cloud that covered them by day. And then what, what led them at night? It was the Lord, but what led them at night? Fire, a pillar of fire. So on this day, they would gather in Jerusalem. They would, they would build their tabernacles. They would live in them for a week. And what would happen is there were these huge candlesticks that would, they would put around the tabernacle, later the temple, to remind them of the pillar of fire that led them in the, in the wilderness. So at night, when they're looking out of their little temporary shelters, they see the, the temple of God, the tabernacle of God illuminated, and they're going, God is so good. He provided back then. He's providing now. Now, the priests would take a golden cup, and they would go down to the pool of 
Siloam, which isn't all that far, but this would be a little bit of a ceremony. They would go down, they would dip the water in the pool of Siloam. They would come back and they said, God, you provide for us. And they would pour it out. It was called a drink offering to God. Now, what this was memorializing was in Exodus chapter 17, the Israelites were out in the wilderness and they didn't have any water. Instead of praying to God, they grumbled, they complained to Moses. Moses goes to God and God says, take your staff in your hand, strike the rock and the water will come overflowing from the rock. So that's what happened. Now this is really cool. So on the seventh day, they would go down, the greatest day of the festival, they would go down, they would get their water from the pool of Siloam, they would come back, walk around the the, uh, altar seven times and they would cry out Psalm 118.25 which says, Lord save and grant us success. Walking around the altar and then the last time they would pour it out symbolizing that God you have always not only met our needs, you've given us more than what we need. All right, that's the background. On the last and greatest day of the festival, when they just poured out the water, and there's probably 50,000, at least 50,000 Jews on the temple area, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Jesus never does anything by accident. So when they're talking about water, he says this, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture said, rivers of living water will flow, will overflow from within them. He's saying, you thirsty people, quit looking to everything else in the world. I'm what you need. You see, if you want to overflow, you need to have a source that's unending. I'm not worried about running out of anything because God can always make more. He can turn one faucet off. He can turn another faucet on. I can lose one job. He can provide another one. I've known three men in the last six weeks. One of them was my son who lost their jobs. And within just a few days, they got another better job that they weren't even looking for. In fact, one of them, we were, we were doing premarital counseling and we prayed back there the day that he was laid off and driving home, he got another job. And I just said, God, you're awesome. You already had that taken care of because they trusted in you. Y'all remember just a few weeks ago when the Palestine water plant went offline, April 18th, 2019. Now, when the water quit running in your faucet, did you go, oh no, there's no more water in the world. We're all going to die. Anybody do that? Hope not. (laughs) Please say no. Now, what we did was we came out here to the church house and took our showers out here because this is on a different water source. We just went to another water source. Now, we didn't put that on Facebook because we wanted our showers first. But had you asked us, we would have said, sure. Yeah, actually there were several people who came out here and got water so that that they could flush their commodes. Um, uh, First world problems, right? Not third world problems, first world problems. We need to flush our toilet. Um, We didn't think there wasn't any more water, we knew that there was going to be water eventually, and we just had to get through a difficult time. Now, I want you to to look back at this word believes. This Greek word believes is the Greek word pisteo, and it means to trust in, cling to, rely on. So the messages that Jesus is giving us is, if you really depend on me, if you come to me for what you need, not only will I fill your cup to give you what you need, I'll fill it to overflowing so that people around you can have what they need. So let's define this. What is an overflowing life? It means to be filled beyond capacity with an endless supply of God's goodness. Whenever you doubt God's goodness, 
you're going to worry. Um, because God is good. Everything he does in my life is good. We talked about this in the Real God series when we said one of his attributes is he is good. Even the bad things that happen in my life, God can make into good. He can make me look more like Jesus Christ. The Bible doesn't say that everything happens to you is caused by God, but it says that God causes good or bad to make you look more like Jesus. Now, in the Old Testament, another prophet, Isaiah, says this. This is what the Lord says, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. And now he's going to quote God. God says, I am the Lord your God who teaches you what is good for you, for you and leads you along the path you should follow. Oh, that you had listened to my commands. Then you would have had peace flowing like a gentle river. You would have had peace coming out of your life if you had listened to me and obeyed. And righteousness would roll over you like waves, refilling you like the waves of the sea. The key, the key to success, the key to be filled to overflowing is to obey God's commands. God says, if you treat your body the way I tell you to treat your body, it'd be good for you. If you would do sex the way the Bible says to do sex, it would be very good for you. If you do finances, if you do business, if you do relationships, the way God says to do relationships and all of those things, it would be very good. God would fill you up to overflowing. But what we do is we, we run over here and we try to say, oh, I'm going to do sex this way or I'm going to get filled up by this person or this job or whatever it is. And then when we're empty, we come to God and say, how dare you, God, let me go thirsty. Even though I refuse to obey your word, I'm doing it my way. How dare you, God? And God says, I don't operate that way. You're not going to intimidate me into blessing you. You obey into blessing. Blessing comes first. Uh, obedience comes first and then blessing. When I disobey God, I'm doubting the goodness of God. And can I tell you, no offense, you, a lot of times you, you think that doing the opposite of God's word is gonna make you happy. Can I tell you, it never will make you happy in the long run. Every time you disobey God, you're gonna be empty eventually. Now, several thousand years later, Jesus says the same thing as Isaiah about this idea, and this comes from the Amplified. I use a different translation of the Bible because I wanted to get you a very clear understanding of what Scripture's saying. The Amplified Bible will have things in brackets to explain some of the words that are in the verses. You're gonna see that in just a second. So this is John 10.10 from the Amplified Bible. Jesus is speaking. He says, the thief comes only in order to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life, have and enjoy life, and have it to abundance. And here's the key. Here's what ex explains abundance. To the full, till it does what? overflows. So is your life overflowing or is it empty? If it's empty, the problem is not God. The problem is your source that you're trying to fill it with. Now, how do we get that kind of life? Because I, I, I want to have an overflowing life and I think some of you do too. Well, there's four steps and each one of these steps gets harder and harder Here's the first one. Stay connected to Jesus every day. Stay connected. And here's what it says. John, uh, Jesus speaking in John chapter 15, verse 5, and he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you stay joined to me, that means stay connected to me, and I stay joined to you, I stay connected to you, then you will produce lots of fruit, but you cannot do anything without me. You're going to be empty without me, is what Jesus says. Now, let's think about this. I've got a picture of a cluster of grapes here. Nice cluster of grapes, right? What's going to happen if this cluster of grapes goes, you know, this vine life, it's too restrictive. I'm going to separate and do my own thing. That's my attempt to be, that's my 54-year-old bald white man attempt to be from the hood. 
This grape says, I'm going to do my thing. What's going to happen to the grapes? They will die. They'll shrivel up. Guess what happens to you when you don't stay connected to Jesus spiritually? You shrivel up. You die. And then when you need something to help somebody, you got nothing. He says, you have to stay connected. <laughs> the reason you're overwhelmed, you're not connected. This morning, I had the breakfast of champions. Milk and strawberry Pop-Tarts. That's what I have almost every day because, you know, it, it takes too long to do other things. I mean, sometimes I'll do cereal, but I have to sweeten the milk and that takes too long. You know, I can't, anyway. So I had, I had, I had these Pop-Tarts. Now, I like Pop-Tarts that are warm because then you dip them in your milk and you eat it. Oh, it's just, it's just a blessing that goes down. And, and now when I go on mission trips, I take my Pop-Tarts and water and just because I don't have a toaster, right? But so, so what happens if my, if my magical toaster that heats my, my little pastry just right, what happens if it's not plugged in? It's going to take a long time to eat that, right? And nowadays, you know, in the old days, you could actually push it and it would go down even when it, was pl it wasn't plugged in. Nowadays, I don't know why. You, you, I guess because we're idiots and we would stand there watching it trying to get warm. And the, but nowadays, if it's unplugged and you push it, you're going to be severely disappointed if you want a warm toaster. You've got to be plugged into the power source. What if we decide, just out of the goodness of our hearts, we're going to vacuum this worship center today, it, but, but we don't plug in the vacuum cleaner? It's not going to suck. Okay? Point is, you've got to plug into a power source. If you want to be filled to overflowing, you have to go to the right unending source. And Jesus says, that's him, not anything else. Look what he says in just a couple of verses later in John 15, 7. If you stay in me, if you stay connected to me and, and obey my commands, look at this, you may request anything you like and it will be granted. The reason some of our prayers are not answered we're not connected and we're not obeying. God's not obligated to answer those prayers. You're connected and you obey, God will answer. My true disciples produce bountiful harvests. This brings great glory to my Father. I have told you this so that you'll be filled with my joy and yes, your cup of joy will do what? Overflow. The overflowing comes from being connected to God. Now, how many of you would say that you're, you're probably a world-class worrier? You know how to worry, right? My wife, and, and I've discovered this through small groups, but my wife has these alternate universes, right? So this is what happens, and we'll be driving somewhere, and she goes, you want to hear my alternate universe? I'm sure, sure, baby, tell me your alternate universe. And she'll tell me, and everything's great <laughs> over here. And I'm like, but this is what happened. But you go ahead and think... She worries. She, she's a world-class warrior. She's got scenarios where I die, and I mean, she's got all this stuff. Which she's going to do this and this and this, and I'm like, I just, I just want Pop-Tarts, and, and I'm happy. Um, <laughs> I'm overflowing. Give me some milk and Pop-Tarts. Well, occasionally Bluebell, but it will go on. Some of you are professional warriors, and you could be professional worshipers, if you changed your focus. Because worry is looking at all of the negative and turn it over and over and over in your mind. Worship is when you take a, a promise of God and you're saying, God, here's what you said and I'm gonna go over and over and over and over until I'm filled up with overflowing. And, and see, when that happens, when you go through difficult times and people say, there's no way you should be overflowing, they say, what kind of God do you serve? 
because I need to know him. And I'm just going to tell you, over the last year, uh, our life has been really, really difficult. We have walked through the valley of the shadow. And there's many times I would wake up in the middle of the night, two or three o'clock in the morning, there was just this fear grip my stomach. And I'm going, oh no. And then, then either a worship song or a word of God would come into my mind and I would sing that song or I would meditate on that word of God until my spirit just relaxed and I would go back to sleep. That's the only way you can make it through some of those difficult times is through the word of God. So if you're a professional warrior, you can be a professional worshiper through meditating on the word of God. One one will take you up, one will take you down. One will fill your cup, one will empty your cup. Which one do you want to do? Choice is yours. So the first one is stay connected to Jesus. Next one's harder. Stop complaining and start being grateful. Nobody complains, do you? Nobody in here complains about it's too hot or it's too cold. Every Sunday, some of you put it on your cards. There's two thermostats. No, don't do it. We'll fight. We'll have, we'll have fights over that. Look what it says in Philippians 2.14. In everything. What, what is that word? Everything. Come on. What is that word? Everything. In everything you do, stay away from complaining and arguing. Did the word of God just say that? Oh. 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 Some of you complained about... How people were driving, coming to church, or some of you complained about how far you had to park, some of you complained, I don't know, you com you're professionals. The Bible says stop it. Let's, let's, just, let's just have a complaining session for a minute. Why don't you just share with me your biggest complaint? I'm kidding, I don't wanna hear it. I don't wanna hear it. No, I, I don't have time for that. I'm in a good mood today. It's Mother's Day and I had Pop-Tarts, so everything's good for me. <laughs> Does complaining about the weather ever change the weather? Does complaining about your spouse's attitude make their attitude better? New. You're not going to feel better from complaining. So if complaining doesn't help us, what does? Well, the Bible tells us very clearly. What will make you feel better? It's Colossians 2, 7. Let your roots go, grow down into him. In other words, stay connected in him. Put the same amount of energy into getting to know Jesus as you do complaining about the bad things in your life. If you do, look what happens. Let your lives be built on him. Then, then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. You want to be a thankful person, stop complaining and go deep in Jesus. Told you this is going to get harder. So stay connected, stop complaining. Number three, stop comparing and start being content. Moms, how many of you have ever looked at another mom and said, man, she is so much better at this mom thing than me? Anyone? Mm -hmm. When you stand before God, he's not going to say, how come, how come Leanne isn't the same as Lauren? He didn't do that. I can't tell you how many times my kids have said, why don't you do this? And, and, and I'll say, I know you don't like it, but I believe that's what God says. And, and whether you believe this or not, I have to stand before God one day and answer to him for how I parented you. So shut up. No, I, 
So there. Now, I, I, seriously, I've said, I've said, I know you don't like this, but I, I'm going to answer to God. I don't answer to you. And just because your uncle might be a better parent, you think, than I am, that is not going to sway what I believe God's called me to do. Stop. God's not going to compare you to someone else. You're, gonna, you're one of a kind. See, there's two huge problems whenever you compare yourself to someone else. When I was in high school, I, I had hair and I thought I was kind of a cool deal. Um, I, uh, I was number three in my graduating class out of 188 academically. And I missed, I missed being salutatory, and I'm not kidding, by like one one hundredth of a point or something like that. Talk about loser. I'm not bitter. Um, so I was number three in my class, and, and I got a letter jacket when I was a freshman in high school because the top ten in each class got, and that was the coolest thing, to wear that leather jacket because I'm smart, and I had a little academic symbol. You talk about a nerd. had a little academic symbol and uh, never did pay money to get my other things because when I was a sophomore in high school, I got moved up to varsity, and, um, and my second game, I returned the opening kickoff of, of the game in front of my aunts and uncles in Lubbock, Texas. I returned it for a touchdown, thought I was pretty cool deal. Um, my sophomore year, I went out for baseball, and I, made, I was a starter on the Class 4A high school baseball team, and, and man, I thought I was pretty cool, and, and then I graduate, and, and I get all of these scholarships and all of these honors, and then I get to Baylor University, and everybody at Baylor is a valedictorian or a salutatorian. They don't care that you're one one-hundredth of a point from being a salutatorian. Everybody started on their baseball team. Everybody started on their football team, and I realized I am just not that big a deal anymore, and it was pretty humbling. Here's two problems whenever you compare yourself with others. Either you will find someone who's better than you and you'll get discouraged. Or probably even worse, you'll find somebody you're better than and you'll get cocky. Either one of those things will empty your cup. The Bible says stop comparing yourselves to others. For example, we live in the world of social media. Have you ever seen somebody post a picture of their caramel macchiato frappuccino cappuccino? Now, I don't even know if that's possible, but I just like how it sounds, so just go with me. <laughs> so you, you post a picture of your caramel macchiato frappuccino cappuccino, and you go, ah, I'm so cool. And then somebody else sees it, and they go, I don't have a caramel macchiato frappuccino cappuccino. I'm a cappuccino. Go ask for one of those and see if you get one of those. And they say, I need to go get one, but it's not good enough for me to get a caramel macchiato frappuccino cappuccino. I'm going to get the caramel macchiato frappuccino cappuccino al pacino because that's special. <laughs> and only the owners of Starbucks even know it exists. And then when I post that, I'm better than you. Have you ever seen a scenario like that? How many pictures can you take of yourself in the bathroom mirror? <laughs> There's been enough. I'm on a campaign. Let's stop. Whether you got your clothes on or off, I don't want to see either one. <laughs> Have a picture of my grandson. This is Waylon. So we call Waylon Weiwei. Now Waylon cannot make the W sound, so he calls himself Yeye. Hilarious. So like he, he falls down, he go, wait, wait, okay. Uh, yeah, yeah, okay. He calls himself, yeah, 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 okay. And it's just the cutest thing ever. So this day, his mama, they were going to, to childcare that day. And his mama said, hey, wait, wait, smile big for the camera. And she posts, this is what happens when you smile too big for the camera. And it's just so stinking cute. If you smile like that and put it on Facebook, it's not cute. 
I think there's something wrong with you. Yay, yay, okay. And, and when Casey preaches, Casey can put his grandson up there because he thinks his grandson's the coolest, and that's all right. If you preach, you, you can. It's not a competition. This one's related to me. His, his grandchildren are related to him. Why are we comparing? Why aren't we thankful for what we have? <laughs> when you're 30 years old and, and you have to put your Bible here and your cup here and you say, look how spiritual I am. Can I tell you, you're not very. I think this is where I meddled in the first service, wasn't it? Yeah. A lot of times people come to church See, I've been doing this a long time. Okay, so I was a youth minister for 19 years and I've now been a pastor for 17 years. Wow. 36 years I've been in ministry and people come to church all the time and they say, man, I didn't get anything out of worship today. And my question is, what'd you put into it? Because see, if, if, my, if my time every day, if I have a time every day with the Lord and he begins to fill me up to overflowing, and by the way, you're not ever gonna know whether I have a time with the Lord because I'm not putting it on social media. It's not about you. But if he fills me to overflowing and then I come to worship, I worship. And, and can I tell you that on stage, we know whether you've spent any time with God before you come here. And I'm, I'm, not, trying to, I'm not trying to throw stones, but when we're worshiping up here, and you're looking at your watch or you're on social media or you just can't, I mean, I, come on, we're smart enough to tell whether you are just counting the minutes till you get out. But that's Shay, Shay's having a good time. Shay's my friend. But, but when you worship, and I'm not saying you have to raise your hands. I'm not saying you have to clap, you have to dance. But if you're like this, You're not going to see Jesus. Worship, <laughs> there should be two things that happen in worship. Either you should be praising or you should be on your face. And by the way, there's a lot of people that love to praise God and make noise that refuse to bow to him. That's a show. That's not real. Because when I see God, there's times I see God. And in fact, in our first service, without me ever having said this, in the last song, someone hit their knees right there and I just went, oh, thank you, Jesus. You're still changing lives. He was praising and then all of a sudden, he was on his face. I didn't ask him why. But I think it's probably because he realized what a sinless God we serve, what a sinful man he was. And he could no longer stand in the presence of holiness. So if you didn't get anything out of it, it may be because the preacher sucks, okay? I get that. But I think more often it's that, that you're empty when you come in here, you don't see Jesus, and you're empty when you leave. Meddling is over for now. Look what 1 Corinthians, Paul says this. What are you so puffed up about? What do you have that God hasn't given you? And if all you have is from God, why act as though you are so great as though you have accomplished something on your own? <laughs> he, can, he can remove your next breath. 
He can, he can make your heart beat the last one. So everything I have is from him. So we're going to stay connected to Jesus if we want to be overflowing. We're going to stop complaining and be grateful. We're going to stop comparing and be content. And then here's the hardest one of all. We're going to stop being stingy and start being generous. And, and there's somebody here who's going, ah, oh, here we go. I'm going to talk about money. You want to make people act funny, talk about money. It, it happens all the time. I'm not just talking about money, but I'm going to tell you right now, I'm going to talk about money for the next five weeks. I'm going to talk about how to be rich, not how to get rich, how to be rich in what matters most. And, and there's, there's, every time I've known a pastor who's preached and told the congregation ahead of time he's going to talk about being generous, some people will stay away until they, we, I, there was a church where they actually wrote a note and said, when you quit talking about money, I'll come back. My pastor shared that with me. I said, keep on talking about money. We don't need them. And you know what? When we looked at that person's giving records, in the history of the church, they'd never given a dime. I'm meddling, sorry. Um, I'm, I'm talking about time, energy, being generous with your compliments. Stinginess is an evidence of the shortage mindset. It means you don't trust God. When you say, I can't afford to tithe, I can't afford to give 10% of my income to the church. What you're saying is you don't understand how God functions, how God set up the universe. God is a giver. In fact, he is the greatest giver of all time. And he set up the universe to work in a certain way. And he wants us to look like him. He wants, he wants like father, like son, like father, like daughter. He wants us to be like him. So when we give, we become more like him. In fact, look what it says about God. God so loved the world that he did what? He gave. Now, where's that found? John 3, 16. God so loved the world he gave. See, you can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. He gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. <laughs> Some people are gonna be real upset because I've hit a stingy nerve today. How dare he tell me what is true. The more generous I am, the more God is gonna give me. If I'm generous with my time, he's gonna multiply my time. I can't tell you how many times Janie has prayed, God multiply Doug's minutes today. And when I'm faithful and when I spend time with him, it's amazing, I'm more productive. Or when I'm kind, kindness comes back to me. Whatever you need more of, you need to give to God. And he'll cause you to overflow. Look what it says in, first, in 2 Corinthians. Paul's talking, he says, but remember this, if you give a little, you'll get a little. A farmer who plants just a few seeds will only get a small crop, but if he plants much, he will reap much. Everyone must make up his own mind as to how much he should give. Don't, forget, don't force anyone to give more than he really wants to, for cheerful givers are the ones God prizes. I love that. God is able to make it up to you by giving you everything you need and more so that there will be not only enough for your own needs, but plenty left over to give joyfully to others. This is why we call it the joy basket because God loves a cheerful giver. He prizes cheerful givers. So if anybody ever pressures you to give, don't give. If I pressure you to give, don't give because you don't get credit for it. If God tells you to give, you should give. God doesn't need your money. And, and some, some are like, good, he's not getting it. Well, that's between you and God. God wants what it represents. It represents your heart. 
your emotions always flow to where your money goes. If you, want your, if you want your heart to flow towards the church, you need to give to the church. Every time I give, my heart gets bigger. Every time I give, I become more loving. Every time I give, I become more like Jesus. Now in the Old Testament, um, the Israelites were eventually destroyed by the Babylonians and taken captive. They, they were taken captive because they disobeyed God repeatedly. Jeremiah told them you're gonna be in captivity for 70 years. At the end of that time, Cyrus, the king of Persia, said you can go back and you can um, to your homeland. When they went back, God said, here's the first thing I want you to build. When you go back to Jerusalem, to Israel, I want you to rebuild my temple, symbolizing that I'm number one. Don't rebuild your houses, don't rebuild the walls, rebuild my house to symbolize worship is first. So the people go back and you know what they did? They didn't build the temple. And there's this whole book of the Bible called Haggai, it's one of the prophets, where he talks about messing up your priorities and what happens. Here's what he says in Haggai chapter one, verse two. You say this isn't the right time to build a temple for me. So God's talking and he says, you, it's not the right time to build my temple. And you say, it's not the right time for me to serve on the tech team. It's not the right time for me to serve in guest services. It's not the right time for me to serve back in the children's area. It's not the right time for me to go on a mission trip. It's not the right time for me to adopt a box. It's not the right time for me to do anything for the kingdom of God. But it is the right time for you to live in expensive houses while my temple is in a pile of ruins. Now, new life isn't in a pile of ruins, but new life has not scratched the surface of what we can become if we had even twice as many people serving the kingdom of God who do now. There are people within driving distance of this church who need to see your life overflowing so that they say, I need a God like that. Shay said, amen. It is the right time for you to live in expensive houses while my temple is in a pile of ruins. Just look at what's happening. You harvest less than you plant. You never have enough to eat or drink. Your clothes don't keep you warm and your wages are stored in bags full of holes. You expected much but received only a little. And when you brought it home, I highlighted this. This is God speaking. Because you neglect his kingdom. He says, I made what little you had disappear. You say, why have you done that? God says, why have I done this? It's because you hurry off to build your houses. You hurry off to competitions. You hurry off to jobs. You hurry off to whatever, trophies. That when you stand before God, you'll kind of throw those away. The Bible says that your, your actions will be tested by fire. You hurry off to build your own houses while my temple is in ruins. This is also why the dew doesn't fall and your harvest fails. You are empty because you, you're trying to fill yourself up with the wrong thing and you'll never overflow doing that. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is, is Malachi 3.10. We'll finish with this. God speaking, he says, bring the whole tithe, that's 10%. And by the way, when I get paid, I, I, I give 10%. If somebody gives me cash, I don't even put it in my pocket until I give 10% to God because I do not want to take what is not mine. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house and test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it does what? Overflows. If you're overwhelmed today, it's because you're looking in the wrong place for satisfaction. God wants you to be overflowing. And it's not just for you. It's so that you have all you need and so does everybody else. Let's pray together. 
Father, thank you for moms that taught us a lot about this without even realizing it. They sacrifice for someone else. They give, they love. And God, make us a church who follows hard after you. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.